Welcome to the third episode of the Citizen Dame podcast, where a rotating roundtable of amazing women discuss film and mess and all of that stuff that usually happens in the film industry. As always, I am Kristen Lopez here with Karen Peterson. Hello. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And we have a lot of stuff going on in this episode, so let's jump into what I like to call what we've been watching. Uh, We did it on another episode where we just kind of talked about stuff that we were watching. Of course, Karen, you are a TV person and you had mentioned that it's premiere week for a lot of shows, so let's throw out television and any movie that we have been watching. I'll let Karen start, because she came up with it. Well, yeah, this week was premiere week for a lot of shows. And for me, it was the return of two of my very favorites and two of the only network shows I watch. The Goldbergs, which is so funny and delightful, and I love everything about it. And This Is Us, which is just, it just makes me so joyful. So... That's what I've been watching, and I actually got to go to the premiere party for This Is Us the other day, and I met Sterling K. Brown, so Did you form words? Did you form words in front of him? I word vomited on his shoes, so. (laughs) (laughs) But it was okay, because then he was so sweet, and he kissed me on the cheek, so it was like, all right. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's what we live for, okay? So I'm proud. I'm proud of you. I I thought my tips were not going to work, but I'm hoping they did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was just a joyful experience, so yeah. Lauren, what about you? What have you been watching this week? Well, one of my favorite TV shows came back again this week. Came back just yesterday on Sunday, The New Bob's Burgers. I don't watch that. Oh, you've got to watch Bob's Burgers. <laughs> it's the best show on television, seriously. But it was really fun because um, this was kind of an interesting premiere because they did, the entire episode was built out of fan art, uh, so every single like scene and even like switches between scenes were different styles that fans had submitted to them in a contest, and that they that so they actually used fan art. It was a, it was a little odd because the story itself didn't have anything to do with all of these shifts in the artwork. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a little distracting to see all of this stuff, but it was also very cool and it was a great way to like integrate all of the fans and. You know, you they you got all everybody got their credits on the show and everything like that. So it was a lot of fun. But yeah, it's in its eighth season now, which is amazing. That is really cool. Like, what a great idea and great way to reach out to fans. Yes. Yeah, so I was very excited to see it come back because I just I I have yet to dislike anything about this show. <laughs> Kimberly, what have you been watching this week? Uh, this week, I've been pretty much sticking with the networks and working on things I've been writing about, but the big one this week was probably the Orville, that, and that premiered a couple of weeks ago, but I f- officially jumped over to that. That's Seth MacFarlane's Fox space comedy dramedy, and I've liked Seth MacFarlane for a long time, and that is... What he's doing with that show is kind of blowing my mind in terms of how he's working with genre. And integrating some of the comedy into the space, and he's bringing a good group behind him. He's got John John Favreau on it. He's got Brandon Braga from the Star Trek franchises. And other than that, it jumped into Modern Family and Hawaii Five O, which you know that they do what they do. <laughs> I feel I feel very out of the loop because I don't watch a lot of television. I just I don't have the time. Uh, and the the one 
show I do kind of devote significant time to doesn't come back till next week. It's Jane the Virgin. So I have been watching movies, as I usually do. So for me, what I have been watching this week, I watched the documentary Jackson, if anybody saw that on Showtime. It's from earlier in the year, so I'm really behind on my DVR and I decided to get rid of some stuff. But I watched it and it's a really great documentary about like the when if anybody remembers the when they were trying to shut down the abortion clinic in Mississippi. And it's it's really fascinating documentary that just with with uh, what has recently been announced within the last couple hours with our government, it's it's very timely. So if you have Showtime, you could probably see it on like their app. I, I heartily recommend it. So yeah, everybody's watching television. I'm watching like socially relevant, depressing documentaries. I feel very bad for bringing down bringing down the fun. So let's jump into a question. We actually got a listener question. I'm so happy we have listeners who give us questions. I don't know about you guys, but I was very happy. I was thrilled. <laughs> we have two, um, and we'll get to this first one. It's from at hello. It's Pauso. I think that's how you pronounce it. P a u x o. If I mispronounce your Twitter handle, I'm very sorry. But it. She asked, "Who are your favorite current favorite and least favorite actors under the age of 18, and who are your current favorite and least favorite actors or actresses in general?" So I will let. Kimberly go first. Who are your current favorite and least favorite actors under the age of 18 and in general? Uh, so I I was having trouble with the under 18s. I immediately thought of for the favorite child actor, child teen actor, Jack Dylan Grazer. He was Eddie in Yes. I, I love him he so was much. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and he definitely. he hasn't done a lot of IMD beat him. He's on credit number two or credit number three, but he did such great work. I'm really excited to see where he goes. And uh, favorite actor and actress, uh, or do you have a least favorite actor actress under the age of eighteen? I I I couldn't come up with anybody. I mean, there's people who. I don't really go out of my way to watch, but nobody who I would say, maybe I feel bad saying it because they're under 18. Okay, well, what about I, in favorite know. and least favorite in general? Uh, for favorite, this was a hard one, too, because there is a lot. I have to toss out kind of a tie. Ashley Zuckerman is his name. He is from, most people would probably recognize him from de- des- Designated Survivor. Last season, he was Peter McLeish, the um, senator who was kind of the senator, the congressman who was the target, you know, in the middle of all of the big scandal. But I had liked him from Manhattan and had seen a couple of Australian shows that he was on and just have I love all the work that he does. And then Rupert Evans as well was the other one I wanted to call out as my favorite just in general. Okay. Uh, Rupert Evans is in Man in the High Castle. Karen, who are your current favorite and least favorite actors under the age of 18 and in general? Well, I agree with Kimberly that I just, I feel weird saying like least favorite. I mean, there are just some kids that I think are, eh, whatever. But like they're kids, so hopefully they'll either grow up and find something else to do (laughs) or they'll, you know, learn some skills. But a couple of my favorites that I like... Jacob Trombley is just so adorable. Yes. Like, uh, you took kid. mine. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not that sorry, but... <laughs> 
but yeah, like he's just adorable. And then also McKenna Grace, just such a cutie. She um she was in Gifted with Chris Evans oh, earlier okay. in the year. She oh, also she is, is yeah. um young Tanya Harding in I Tanya. I'm excited to see <gasps> her in that. Oh my gosh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So I mean, and, she's just an awesome little kid. So, and I'm favorite excited. and least favorite actors in general over eighteen. Well, I think we all know who my favorite actor is. <laughs> I might have mentioned his name once before, and that would be Tom Cruise. I love him. I love everything about him except for the Scientology thing, but that's you know <laughs> that can be fixed. And least favorite? Oh my gosh, I have a list of people <laughs> that are just like. They drive me nuts. But one of the people that I just, every time I find out he's in a movie, I just groan. Partly because everyone else seems to like him so much. And that's Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. I no. can see that. Drives me nuts. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, Lauren, what about you? Current favorite and least favorite actors under 18 and in general? Well, I think I'm going to continue kind of the trend of not really wanting to rip on that's kids. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> uh, because, I, I mean, yeah, they're they're kids and, you know, they might, maybe they shouldn't be actors, but it's kind of, it, it's difficult to, to blame them for much of anything. I mean, yeah, Jacob Tremblay was, was the one that I thought of immediately, just because he's, uh, he just blew me away in room. I mean, there's, you can't, you can't watch that movie and not be like, oh my God, this is, this, this kid has skills. And actually I was watching, this is sort of a weird one. I was watching Ouija Origin of Evil yesterday. Yes. And are you going to say, are you going to say, what's her name? As soon as you say it, I think I, I'm going to uh, be like, Lulu, yes. Lulu, her name, her first name is Lulu Wilson. Yes. Plays the little girl. Yes. She was also and, Annabelle. And granted, you know, this is not a terribly demanding role. You know, she just basically has to be an evil child. But she has some scenes in that movie that are genuinely terrifying. And she just acquits herself so well. And so, yeah, I, I really liked her. I hadn't, I don't know if she's done anything else. that she She's just, also in like, uh, Annabelle uh, that came okay. out. Yeah, and she was really good in that, too. So she's just going to be a little horror actress for the rest of her we life. We need more Scream right? Queens. I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, favorite, she was good. And, Favorite and least favorite actors or actresses in general? Le- well, with least favorite, like, yeah, I, I also have a list. One of my least favorites, honestly, is Christian Bale. I hate him. Really? I hate, I hate everything he does. And it might be the whole, like, <laughs> the whole bullshit method acting thing, because I feel the same <laughs> way about Jared Leto, uh, which so I think most people hate. Right there. Yeah, most people, I think, hate, hate Jared Leto anyways. Favorite actor, it shifts so much uh, over time, and I mean one one of my all time favorite actors is um, Cary Grant, yes. which yes. is is not contemporary, is not current at all, but he's amazing and he's good in just about anything that he does. Mm-hmm. Right now, and again, I think that this is probably because of some of the movies I've been watching. I'm gonna like step on toes and say Army Hammer. I am totally okay with this. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I saw him in Free Fire uh, just the other day, and I was like, man, like, he's always enjoyable to watch, and, but he's just really, obviously having such a great time with everybody in that movie, and, and I'm gonna get to see him in Call Me By Your Name tomorrow. I hate you. (laughs) Everybody is going to have seen that movie before I have. It's not fair. It's it's at New York Film Festival, so. (sighs) I'm trying to get into AFI Fest, and if I can, 
I'm so going to see that. Um, well, we'll so, find okay. out in two weeks. Exactly. For me, current, I, I won't throw out these favorite actors under 18 yet, because I'm not that cruel. I may not like kids, but I'm not that mean. Current favorite young actors, um, I say pretty much anybody who was in The Beguiled. So like Elle Fanning and Gory Rice, Una Lawrence, I think those are great. Um, to go with the It love that we brought up, as much as I loved uh, the, the little boy who plays Eddie, I thought that uh, Sophia Willis, who played Bev, was really good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. those are kind of my favorites. Um, current favorites, let's get the least favorites out of the way, because I don't have a lot of actors or actresses that I outright hate, except for two. So I usually <laughs> abhor... And I, one of them is not going to be on this list that Karen's thinking of. I'm not going to throw that out there because it's not necessarily, like, people can attest. I hate two actors. Usually, it, I will say, like, I will not go see anything. And that is Mia Wasikowska <laughs> because she does the exact same performance in every movie I've seen. I mean, I like Jane Eyre, but that's, that's all she's got. And, That's and, like the only thing she's ever been suited for. So exactly. So um, I usually avoid anything she does. And Luke Evans. Yeah. Um, I. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I usually complain. Like, why is he a thing? Why? Um, I know people tell me he's like finally found his niche and he's like doing good work, but I I still hate him. <laughs> I usually just avoid everything. Favorite favorite actors or actresses. The list is long. But usually, I mean, Jessica Chastain, Brie Larson, those are, those are like my two, my two ladies that I will go see whatever. Everybody knows Oscar Isaac, like that's, that's husband right there. I will go see whatever. Um, so those are, those are kind, I have a longer list. So if anybody really wants to know, I can come up with more, but those are kind of like the heavy hitters for me. Let's get into some news. Let's go from uh, good things to bad things. James Cameron. So, James Cameron cannot seem to shut his mouth. And I say that with love. I don't know about you guys, but I love... I say it, but not with love. (laughs) I agree. See, I I, I am... The Terminator is probably one of the earliest movie memories I have. And I love it. I love the first two. Anything after two doesn't exist in my world. Um, Like, they never made three in my world. uh, Or four. Um, Nor in his, apparently, anymore. That's that's (laughs) fine with me. Um, But this all started a couple weeks ago when they had asked James Cameron about Wonder Woman. And he had said that he thought that Wonder Woman was a backslide for feminism. And that she wasn't nearly as strong as Sarah Connor from the Terminator films. And I actually wrote about how I think that Sarah Connor and Wonder Woman have a lot of commonalities and they act as a dialectic um but i don't think james cameron read it unfortunately because he's still talking nonsense where he essentially kind of doubled down on his statements where he kind of called gal gadot an objectified icon and just still will not shut up um and he made a big show about how he's gonna make another terminator with linda hamilton I thought I would never see the day because I heard he hated that woman. So why can't James Cameron just let Wonder Woman be? Because it's taking attention away from him. That's that's what he's seeing. Yeah. Yeah, so, he didn't so, like being called out on his original comments. And so he's going to stand by them instead of admitting that he was wrong and said things that he shouldn't have said. That's well, exactly right. That is somebody trying to, he's never going to admit that he's wrong, so he's doubling down because he can't lose that argument. 
Well, and, and he, it's, it's pretty indicative that all of the examples that he gives of, like, quote, strong female characters come from his own films. Yeah. That's the I one mean, that's, thing that, yeah. That's, that's why he was just like, oh, there's nothing like Sarah Connor. Just like, dude, get over it. Well, <laughs> you know? If we're talking about James Cameron from a feminist lens, and <laughs> I say that having seen every James Cameron movie that is out there, um, so I I have background on this. You have Fern Gully Pocahontas character played by Zoe Saldana in Avatar. You have Kay Winslet in Titanic, who you know I don't know if if you guys say the character is questionable, but she is galvanized into action by a dude she met for like forty eight hours. I can't talk shit about Titanic though. I love that movie, so I come at me. True Lies is probably his most egregious film um because he was going through a divorce and boy does it show because like half of that movie is just the worst like pointed marriage drama where james cameron says i'm awesome how dare you divorce me you bitch you and then sarah connor um and and again having written about sarah connor from a, a feminist standpoint I mean, yeah, I see the arguments that she starts out as this 80s valley girl and then becomes this, you know, big military hyper mother. Like, there's no in-between. Um, and my argument has been that, you know, that that's a really good... If you look at the 80s and how the 90s played out, like, it works. James Cameron doesn't understand, I think, that, like, stuff builds on things. Like, you wouldn't have Sarah Connor if you didn't have Ripley. And you wouldn't have Ripley from Aliens if you didn't have, you know, this woman. Like... Feminism in film, if more than anything, is a dialectic of building on the predecessors. And James Cameron just just needs to stop. Can't he go back to his submarine and like look at the Titanic again? Seriously. Well, well and, and fe- female characters, the, there's this whole idea that there's only one arc that a female character can possibly take. Yes. And and that's that's screwed up. That so yeah, Sarah Connor has a great arc over two films. And it works perfectly, and it works for those films. Wonder Woman's arc isn't that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's like saying that, you know, because Rick in Casablanca doesn't have the same arc as Indiana Jones. You know, it's like, okay, so who cares? They're two different characters. Yeah. Right. Well, and I was... Uh, Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. Go on. Well, I was going to say, I also... I didn't... I didn't appreciate that part of his diss of Wonder Woman seemed to be the fact that she was beautiful. And it's like, yeah. was just what, only strong, thing. amazing women can be unattractive? Like, we can't again, have beautiful you, women be heroes? You look at James Cameron's filmography of women, Sarah Connor goes from, like, this 80s teased young woman to, like, stringy hair, like, scrawny, like, military character and... Poor Jamie Lee Curtis is, like, dowdy at the beginning of True Lies, and then she has to become, like, this weird prostitute character at one mm-hmm. point. And, you know, Rose is very buttoned up <laughs> and wants to be, you know, she wants to fly free, but she can't do anything unless, you know, like, Jack's literally pushing her onto a door. And Well, no, a- her moment of freedom in Titanic came when she took off her clothes. That's true. Like, I mean, and Avatar, Avatar. um, Let's not forget that James Cameron went and spent inordinately amount of time talking about how they were gonna see Zoe Saldana's character's breasts in that movie, like how the placement of like clothing was gonna work. Um, So yeah, James Cameron, just 
stick to make an avatar movie actually don't but you seem to like that sandbox and if it means that you're not gonna talk about like wonder woman can exist in this world man stop making me hate you well and this the and the whole idea about a beautiful woman cannot also be strong or powerful or feminist or badass or any of those things is i mean that's that's an old very patriarchal misogynist stereotype it's essentially like you either get the beauty or the brains you don't have both you don't get to be tough and attractive and and so that's like he's just he's just parroting a bunch of backlash bullshit basically it's like putting and and he's never it's like putting glasses he hasn't been able to get out of it in true lies jamie lee curtis what happens when she what is the main thing she loses when she becomes her spy self she loses her glasses Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's his which, vision exactly. of what which women Wonder Woman are, has a great joke like, about you know, that I, very thing. I, yes, right. Thank you for mentioning that. Ex- exactly. One of the awesome things about Wonder one of the awesome things about Wonder Woman is also the way that the men around her treat her. So it isn't just her; it's also the way that the men react to her. And they, on the one hand, they're like, "Oh my God, you're gorgeous!" And like, "Oh my God, you're amazing! You can beat the shit out of everybody. This is great. You go out there and do it." And and so there's a there's a much more progressive attitude that's being shown than in like than in Terminator or in Terminator Two. Right. Yeah, that's my Connor my argument is. again, not to show for the so, article I wrote about this thing. Um, but you know, my my whole argument was is that Sarah Connor in the '90s, because we had those hyper masculine Arnold characters or, or Rambo figures, like you couldn't have a woman be both nurturing and maternal and a badass like that was just in the 90s she had to be like one of the boys and wonder woman is one of those where in 2017 there's an acknowledgement that wonder woman can be nurturing she can be optimistic she can be a badass she can be all of those things and and still not have to sacrifice any of her the things that make her her you know, Correct. whereas, yeah. I, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, because you have that backlash mm-hmm. against second wave feminism, you can't have mm-hmm. Sarah Connor start out as this, you know, valley girl who is like horrified that this stuff is being put around her and is being told she's a sacred vessel without having that that culmination of her being you know, having to pretty much rip out her womb in the second film. Um, and I say that as somebody who loves that film. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's James Cameron needs to stop. Yeah, well, here's another problem I have with it, with what he said. It's the fact that Wonder Woman was hugely popular among women. And so, and it was directed by a woman. And so for James Cameron to sit there and say it's a step backwards, it's like he's saying that he knows more about feminism than we do. Can we all just say what what the real problem is? He's just bitter that he hasn't won an Oscar and his ex-wife did. That is true. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. His wife is the first and so far only woman to win Best Director. So, I mean, I'm and sure this And as happy as I was that she won for that film, I was also really happy that she beat him. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that, mm-hmm. like, chaps his ass um, at some yeah. point. Um, so, yeah. That, ah, Jim, why you gotta do me like this? I, I did also really like the fact that Linda Carter yes. called him out yes. on, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter. And was just, I was basically like, no, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> and it was, it was marvelous. It was just like, okay, so like, so Patty Jenkins has called you out, Gal Gadot has called you out, and Linda Carter has called you out. You like the all the Trinity, Wonder Women like, hate you, you basically. Just need to stop. Um, right. So let's sit like, down, just, James. Yeah. 
Go over there and be quiet, James. The girls are talking, so. Well, let's move on from James Cameron to <laughs> comic book world, which is equally as contentious. Um, this came out from Variety a couple days ago, but apparently they're making a Venom movie. And Sony's doing, and they're, they're really trying to get, like, some comic book money going. So they are going to put Michelle Williams in the film. Supposedly she's in talks to star opposite Tom Hardy. She would be playing, I love how they describe this in the Variety art, uh, article, she would, quote, play a district attorney and possibly a love interest. Of course, because she's a woman. You weren't. You weren't gonna have. You weren't gonna have the other person who's gonna be in this movie, Riz Ahmed, be the love interest like crazy. That would never happen. Yeah, Riz Ahmed's also supposed to be on this uh, in this movie, being directed by Ruben Fleischer. Well, that's nice. I thought he was like in director jail after Gangster Squad. I'm glad to know that they gave him another shot. So supposedly it will play no part in the Spider-Man universe, and it's gonna be a standalone film. It's written by the guys who wrote Jumanji. I'm unclear if that's the original or the upcoming remake and the Dark Tower. So this is going to be great. Um, wow. And it's <laughs> scheduled to hit theaters a year from uh, this week. So I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> um, Michelle Williams is interesting casting. At this point, really, nobody surprises me because everybody wants that built-in comic book movie unless you're like Leonardo DiCaprio and you don't need fuck you money Michelle Williams though probably wants to like only have to make a movie a year and then she could just live off of the residuals so I mean I can't fault her for why she would want to do it but can we all talk about like let's look at the list of quote-unquote comic book women in the the universe whether it's DCU or MCU or whatever Sony's thing they got going like you have Michelle Williams you had Maggie Gyllenhaal at one point Rachel McAdams has been in one of these movies there there are so many talented women in these films that are just pointless in the final product I completely forgotten that Maggie Gyllenhaal was in yeah you can also forget that that, yeah you can also forget that she replaced uh Katie Holmes who was also in a Batman film oh that's right (laughs) Oh my god, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so why can't any of these comic book movies seem to do anything with these talented, Oscar-nominated side women? Be- well, because it's not its not about them. And, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it, it, it isn't. It has to be like, oh, it's the, it's the chick that Batman saves. It's the chick that Spider-Man saves. It's the chick that someone saves. And almost always they're like, they have some position of power. Like they're, you know, so you're saying Michelle Williams is playing a district attorney. Um, they're journalists, they're, there's something. I think the only one is, um, what's her name? Mary Jane, who is an actress. Well, a high school an student. Mary and, Jane and an started out yeah. as a trailer trash waitress who was getting sexually harassed. And then she became kind of like a third rate actress. I'm sorry. I'm really bitter about the Spider-Man franchise. <laughs> Having watched all three of them back to back to back to write about Kirsten Dunst, like that franchise owes her well, such Well, those apology. three were terrible. Yeah, the new yeah. Spider-Man yeah. was good. So yeah, they keep on ebbing and flowing but but yeah i mean these these really are these are just women who are there to be damsels in distress and to maybe have a little bit of a nod to you know women having some sort of some sort of position of power but it's always establishment power it's always like you know they're not they have to be saved by the big brave muscular hero i mean you know who cares it almost feels like they're required to avoid somebody saying well it's sexist because there's no women in it like, that's really what it feels like to me. It's still not good if you're just including a woman to fill a quota. And that's what a lot of these these actresses are. And again, if they're going to get paid an exorbitant amount of money, 
to do nothing, you know what? You you make you make the dollar. I, I have no problem with that. It's just, I mean, Michelle Williams is like an Academy Award nominated actress. I, come on, I just I think she can do better than a Venom movie with Tom Hardy. Same with Riz Ahmed. Like he's an Emmy Award winning actor. Why the hell is he doing this after Rogue One, where he served no purpose? Well, why are they doing these, this particular film? This is going to be an out of continuity. I mean, because Marvel pulled Spider-Man in. So if this is one that Sony is doing and they're going out of their way to completely distance themselves from the rest of the franchise, it's like, what is the point? They're, and they're they seem really, to be bring They're going for that Deadpool thing. Like everybody thinks yeah. that if they go for the craziest comic book character that they can find that they'll get Deadpool money. Um, so I'm assuming this will be another, like, hard R type of movie with Tom Hardy well, and busting skulls or something. You reminded me by mentioning Leonardo DiCaprio. There's the unrelated Joker movie that oh, Scorsese God. is supposedly yeah. doing with DiCaprio. It literally is every, all of these studios just trying to get comic book money. Well, at this point, they're all really just trying to build on the more outrageous, the better. Oh, the more niche, the better. So, like, you have Venom coming as a result of Deadpool, and then you have whatever the hell Fox is doing with, like, you know, Suicide Squad, or what are they doing? Gotham City Sirens. Um, all this, like, weird, out-of-left-field stuff, and none of it ends up being any good. I'm gonna get a lot of shitty tweets um, for all of this. <laughs> I know it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm happy Ruben Fleischer got another directing gig. Like, I'm really happy about that, because I really enjoy Zombieland. I love gangster squad a lot i'm probably the only apologist for that movie so i mean like that'll be nice but did i mention it's written by the jumanji and dark tower guys <laughs> yeah yeah don't, don't expect too much although i do love tom hardy so like yeah exactly like all that's, the that's why half the women are going to be in the theater like i'm not a that's tom the hardy only thing i'm hearing there, that but... i'm liking <laughs> Um, so let's go into uh, other questionable things. Uh, we got the trailer for the new Alex Garland movie, Annihilation. This is the movie with a predominantly female cast. I say predominantly. Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Leigh is there, Gina Rodriguez is there, and Oscar Isaac is there as the lone man, which ordinarily I'd be very happy about. It's based on the book series by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, I have read the book. Um, I read the book as soon as they announced Oscar Isaac was going to be in it. And it's in a nutshell about four women that I guess it's like a dis it's a weird futuristic world where there is a plot of space, like land or country um, that is really weird, uninhabited. People have gone in, but have never come back or they have come back, but like oddly changed. That's the plot of the book. Alex Garland has already said that he is making a very loose adaptation of the book, because the book is very bizarre. Um, but we got the first trailer for it. How do we all feel about Alex Garland in general, and the trailer specifically? Uh, Lauren, why don't we start with you? Well, the, the trailer, I don't, I think that the New York Times kind of compared the trailer to looking a bit like a rival, and that was the impression that I got from it. Um, I'm trying, honestly, right now I'm trying to think of what else Alex Garland has done. Ex Machina. Oh, Ex Machina. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So he's got an interesting visual style. He does definitely know how to how to work with women and female characters and stuff like that. So 
I mean, it, it could be fine. I, I can't tell based upon the trailer, and I haven't read the book. So other than it looking a bit like Arrival, that's, that's about all I got. I can say that, in theory, it should look nothing like Arrival. It should be nothing like Arrival, because the two are, other than the fact that they're sci-fi. Kimberly, what about you? What do you think of the trailer? I did not find it all that memorable, It's and having just watched it. Um, <laughs> like Lauren, the visual style was definitely, for me, the most memorable thing. I am trying to think, and my thoughts on, I, I tend to like Natalie Portman, so I'm curious to see what she'll do. I heard some backlash on the online this week about her maybe being believable as a biologist, which <laughs> I assume is coming from Thor, and you know, her, she was an, what, an astrophysicist or something in that. But, and I liked Ex Machina a lot. And now that, you know, putting those two together, that that's where that came from, I could definitely see the visual style quirks. I thought it looked very cool. But beyond that, it's tough to say yet because I'm unfamiliar with the source material. Karen, what about you? Uh, the same, I, I have not read the book. To add, not only did Alex Garland direct Ex Machina, he also wrote the screenplays for 28 Days Later and Sunshine, both of which were directed by Danny Boyle. They're both sci-fi movies as well. And so he has a very distinct style. He tends to tell stories that are kind of in confined spaces, which I think is very interesting. And so, I don't know, I'm... I don't know that this is going to be a great movie, but I think it's one that I'm going to enjoy anyway. (laughs) So, if that makes sense. We're going to leave the most positive person, which is me, for last. Um, So, I've read the book. I love Ex Machina. Ex Machina is one of my favorite movies the year it came out. Not just because it had Oscar Isaac in it. um, Because I I really Mm, enjoyed it. Sure. (laughs) Exactly. Everybody's (laughs) going to say, of course not. Um, I have followed this since it was announced, and... This is, it's, I'm very cautiously afraid that this is going to be terrible. I've, I've read the script for this. Um, I was, I was given it by a friend and I knew they were going to have to make changes between the source material and the book, like giving the characters names because they don't have names in the book. Um, they're just defined by their profession. But the movie has, not only does it have a spoiler in it, in the trailer, um, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that it's a spoiler. But there is a line of dialogue where Natalie Portman is told that if she goes into this wilderness, she can save her husband, who is played by Oscar Isaac. It is not a love story (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. Um, The book, at least. The movie is really hyping it. It's like Natalie Portman has to go to save her husband, which is very bizarre for me because that's not what the premise of the book was. The premise of the book was that she was going in to find out why her husband has come back altered in some way so i'm a little skeptical about that i had heard that it had test screened last year and that the test screens were awful people were not fans of it at all and that they that the studio was very concerned because alex garland got was given a big budget for this movie um and that supposedly it was terrible like people who were supposed to work on the movie um at in post we're like, eh, you know, maybe we don't want to work on this movie because it's going to be crap. So they actually were supposed to release it this year. And it got pushed to February 23rd, 
which is not which the is best weekend you want to release. That's not a good date. No. Well, just not a good time of year. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like it's getting dumped. There was also some controversy on Twitter over the weekend um, because an article had come out saying that Natalie Portman's character was supposed to be Asian. That's a bit of a misnomer because what they're quoting is the second book. There's no description of character features in the first book. They're describing character features of the second book, which Alex Garland has said he did not read. He's purely going off of the first book. So I don't necessarily call it whitewashing. Um, that is to each its own. I think it's going to have an uphill battle. I do not think it's going to do ex machina business at all. But I'll go because I'm a supportive girlfriend, fictional girlfriend, <laughs> to Oscar Isaac. Um, so yeah. Next, uh, let's talk about uh, some remakes. It was announced over the weekend that Hocus Pocus was going to be adapted for a TV movie, uh, a remake version. Not a sequel, which they've been trying to get done for se- since the movie came out back in the early 90s. This is going to be a TV movie because redoing adventures and babysitting for the Disney Network worked out so well. And yeah, let's let's break that down first because I know that we have some Hocus Pocus haters on the podcast. Karen. <laughs> I said and I would I, fight you. I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, Lauren and I Lauren and I are team Hocus Pocus forever. Okay? We we are the Sanderson squad. Kimberly, I do not know um, what team you're on. I am Team Hocus Pocus as well. Woo. <laughs> you call yourselves film critics. <laughs> Karen, Karen, explain to us succinctly why you hate humor, Bette Midler, and candy. Joy. Well, the funny thing is that I like everyone that's in the movie, and it should be a film that I enjoy. But for some reason, I can't stand it. And I can't even really explain why. Can I ask it's when just, you saw it in life? Did you see it I, as a child? No, I did not. That's the problem. Which uh, may yeah, be part of the issue. Uh, what year did it come out? I'm trying to remember. It came out in... One second. I, was it 95? 96? 93. 93. Okay. Yeah. I was a junior in high school. And... For some reason, like, it seems like I would have seen it then, but for some reason I did not see it when it came out. I remember when it came out, and I know some of my friends went to see it, and I feel like I was vaguely not even interested in it, which I don't know why, because, again, it should have been everything I love about movies, especially when I was 16, but I just, I don't know. I saw it year, like several years later on TV, and I was just like, what is this? And I... Uh, it was. I've only watched the whole thing start to finish one time because now every time it comes back on the TV, I try. I have tried so many times to watch this movie again and to try to find something to like about it, and I just can never get through the first like ten minutes. So, I speak for everyone when I say you're you're wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I'm I know, the right one. <laughs> I know. For me, I saw this when it came out. I went and saw this in theaters. Um, I I love this movie. I know it's flawed. Um, I know it's. It's probably, for me, one of the weirdest Disney movies to come out in 93 because, you know, I remember going to see it at the age of, like, six, six or seven, and, you know, it, the whole plot revolves around a kid who is a virgin lighting a candle, like, having to explain to your children, like, why did that work? <laughs> well, there you go. I, I mean, I, I love it. Do we... A TV movie, though, for Disney at this point in time. Like, what is the point? When you can watch the movie 85 times starting now on on Freeform, 
you know, you don't really, do we really need to remind the Disney Channel kids who probably also watch Freeform what they're missing? Well, the thing is, I think we can ask Disney that question about every movie they're making over the next five years. Like, why are they remaking their entire filmography? Yeah. They're doing some of them as TV movies. They're doing some of them as they used to be animated, and now they're going live action. Why? And the What's problem the point? is, it's is just to make more money. There's no, there's no budget on on Disney Channel original films, so it's gonna right. look cheap as shit. And and for me, again, I go back to when they decided to remake Adventures in Babysitting, which I'm pretty sure I was the only one who sat down and watched it. And it's probably one of the most god awful. I don't even care if I was ten years old and I watched this; I would be just horrified. Um, again, Adventures of Babysitting—not a movie that you would think as a small child that you would watch and enjoy. But there's no reason to remake it without neutering it completely. It's like watching a kids' bop version of something, only taking out all the joy. You know, like. We already complained about Adventures in Babysitting being set in Chicago and the lack of, like, ethnic people. Um, in, the, in the remake that they did for Disney, it's obviously a set, and it's a set where there are no black people whatsoever. Um, and it's supposedly, like, they keep talking about going into the city, and it's all white people that look like they're just, like, hanging out in front of an off-brand it's a Starbucks, but it's not a Starbucks because they don't have the rights. So I, I have no... And, and Kenny Ortega, who directed the original film, works for Disney. He still makes Disney Channel original movies, and I do not think they're considering him. So I'm very bummed. I hope well, this doesn't happen. It's such a weird one because I, I think that it was even as last year, Bette Midler and I think Sarah Jessica Parker were both like, oh, we would love to do a sequel. Yeah, they were they've both been like, talking we, about it. We yeah. would love to come back. And and I think that this is one of the few dis- like concepts of a Disney sequel where the at least the three main you know the really important cast would love to come back and do a sequel and they're just like no nah, we're not gonna like that's that's insane I mean I saw Hocus Pocus probably I I would have been about um, seven or eight years old when it came out so I don't know if I saw it immediately upon release. But it's definitely one of those films that, like, was a part of my childhood and that I didn't understand half of what was going on. But I loved Bette Midler in that movie. She terrified me and I wanted to be her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, my parents and I went as the Sanderson sisters for Halloween one year. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> I mean, including my dad was Winifred. So... <laughs> uh, it, it's it's just like I mean I think part of it is that it's it's a part of a lot of people's childhoods, people our age, and but then also the the film itself is such it's such a '90s film. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's incredibly dated in that sense, and so I think that there's a lot of nostalgia that goes back to it. But it's also just fun. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. There are tons of plot holes. Uh, it's it, it has some like really stupid lines and there there's just bizarre shit that goes down but it's a fun movie and it's a fun halloween movie and you've got Bette Midler singing i put a spell on you so how can you go wrong i i, I don't know why you would remake this movie at all um and i will s- well, i'm trying oh, to i'm trying to think if the nostalgia thing would i can't see how it would help it especially if they're doing it as a tv movie i mean looking towards i mean is I was trying to think of this going back to be- Emma Watson's Beauty and the Beast, and that seemed to pay. That seemed to almost play or pay off with the nostalgia. I heard a lot of people around me 
going back to seeing it and sobbing, be, you know, just with joy of seeing it again. I was sobbing with sadness but, at how awful it was. I know so many people who consider Hocus Pocus as a formative film and just that is some because I was about seven or eight when it came out as well and to do it the disservice of having it be a TV movie you know when they could do so much more with it if they're even going to touch it because they're so afraid to come up with original stories yeah and I I think that it's still I think that it still appeals to kids because it still has that, like, you know, the whole central plot is a, a older brother and a younger sister and they relocated to, you know, Salem. And they're being pursued by three witches. Like, that's the whole story on Halloween night. So it, there's there's no reason why that's not relatable to, you know, why, why kids can't watch it on the Disney Channel and have exactly the same experience. Right. Uh, it's really dated in how it views California. Like... That's my big. My, every time I watch it, I get mad at the tie dye jokes. I'm like, we weren't wearing tie dye when it was a thing. Like, yeah, why are why are the the weirdo stoner guys living in Salem and they act like California is this thing that they're not already emulating? <laughs> um, anywho, the new take is gonna have a new cast and director. There's no talk of whether they're going to just remake the plot or do something new, but it is being written by Scarlett Lacey and David Kirshner. Um, one of them made the ETV series The Royals, and the other guy, <laughs> I don't know what he's done. Um, it doesn't look like he's had, uh, at least there's no credits that I can find. Um, so I, I apologize. Oh, he did Curious George, An American Tale, and the Adams Family TV series. Well, I, his... I, will, I will say one thing that in terms of the nostalgia issue, you know, I, I, cause there was all that talk last year about Ghostbusters and all of the stuff coming out, just like, you're ruining the original. There's nothing wrong with remaking beloved older films. Yes, as long as you're doing something with it. Well, exactly, and what I was thinking was, yeah, remake Hocus Pocus, but hire the same caliber of actresses. Hire, you know, do something different with with the story or with the concept or with whatever else. But, you know, you've got to have, because one of the great things about Hocus Pocus is, is Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and um, uh, Kathy, Kathy and Jimmy. Yeah. And the, and the three of them operate so well together and are so brilliantly evil together that you have to, you have to be able to approximate that with a similar trio of actresses. And, you know, and they're not going to do that in a TV movie, period. Well, so- and what you're saying, Lauren, I agree with you. I mean, a remake just for the sake of being a remake isn't necessarily a bad thing it depends on how you approach it and why you're doing it if it's Mm -hmm. taking inspiration from an earlier film and doing something new and different with it for a different audience that's cool but if you're just trying to i mean if you're just remaking psycho shot by shot then you should not do that well speaking of remakes and bet midler um, this also came out, this is announced via Deadline, that Paramount Network, which used to be Spike, but now it's the Paramount Network, have tapped the Girls Trip co-writer Tracy Oliver to pen a half-hour TV series based on the 1996 movie The First Wives Club. Um, supposedly this was originally developed and made a pilot of last year for TV Land with a different writer and the network passed on it, but they guess they kept it alive and the Paramount Network decided that they wanted to do it. They're also um, doing TV reboots of Heathers, 
um, which I saw the trailer for, and that looks atrocious. So how do we feel about First Wives Club and a TV show? <laughs> Don't talk all at once. <laughs> That's how we feel about it. It depends on where. Because it, it, I did not see that Deadline article. Where Did it say anything about where it's going? or? It does not. All we know is that Tracy Oliver has been tasked with writing and developing it. Um, there's no I talk could... on plot. It will be based in some form on the original film. I saw that film when I was probably entirely too young to see it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw that in theaters. And I could, if done right and on the right network, I could see that working. I want to I f- Does it need to be done? I don't, I'm not entirely I sure, f- but I could see it working. I feel like they've, they, I feel like they've made this show so many times it's just not called the First Wives Club. Like, how many shows have there been about divorcees trying to get one over on their exes? You know, I'm sure there are several. Maybe that's not the central plot, but that is usually in a lot of, like, soapy primetime shows. I saw the First Wives Club when it came out to video, and it's one of my favorite movies. I love it a lot. And I, I think that it would be interesting to see. I love that they're getting an, an African-American writer, because the original First Wives Club, when it came out in 96, is very white. It's very yeah. white, very mm-hmm. white and wealthy. Yes. It doesn't matter that Bette Midler's character plays, like, lower, like, she's supposed to be lower class, but they live in New York, and she still lives in a really nice apartment. So it's very upwardly mobile, three white women trying to get over on their white husbands, one of whom is Victor Garber, which is probably one of the reasons why I love the movie so much. So I would love to see a more... Um, ethnically diverse cast um, kind of tackle especially if you're getting like older actresses who usually don't get um, who were who were more finding their their footing in television um, so I'd be I'd be interested in seeing how they would play with making it not seem as glossy as much as I love Bette Midler and Goldie Hawn and Diane Keaton it's a very polished movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I actually rewatched it recently, oh, I, I rewatched it last year, right after Trump got elected, and it made me feel so much better about the world. Um, is it, is it also because Ivanka has a cameo? I, I, I had actually or, completely... My apologies, it's Ivana, not Ivanka, it's not Ivana, the Ivana, yeah. The <laughs> I, and, and she even has a, a great line, um... Don't, don't get mad, get everything. Get everything, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. No, I completely forgot that she was even in it, and, and then she showed up and I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> That's another movie where you're like, that person's in, like, Maggie Smith's in it, you know? Most people yeah. don't remember, Sarah Jessica Parker's also and in Sarah it. Sarah Jessica Parker. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree. Having it possibly be more racially diverse or... Uh, I, I mean, I have a feeling that it's still going to be set in a very high echelon of society. This isn't going mm-hmm. to be about working class women who get divorced and are angry at their husbands. This is going to be about very wealthy women who get divorced and are angry at their husbands. That can work and that can be funny. And I think, you know, there can be a lot... Like I say, I'm I'm not of that class of woman, but I found I find the film very empowering. So, you know, it, it can work. Uh, Girls Trip, I think that, that gives me a little bit of hope because she, she seems to produce interesting comedy. Um, but we'll have to wait and see, I think. Yeah, I'm not ready to dismiss it outright, but I, I do think... There needs to be more to it than just 
women getting revenge on their husbands in order for it to be sustainable as a series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our last bit of news is Oscar-related. Not Oscar Isaac-related, but Academy Award-related. Um, it was announced that Claire Foy is going to campaign as supporting actress in Breathe. So, this is not surprising. Um, as, as I've said to, uh, before, uh, the supporting actress race usually goes to the ingenue, the hot young thing, or the older actress who's had her due. Breathe, I think, looks horrible. So, um, I'm usually against the supportive wife in a disabled movie. Uh, I have no issues with Claire Foy. I don't watch The Crown, but how do we feel about her supporting actress nominee, possibly? Not having seen the, the film yet, only knowing the trailers, I don't... I don't really necessarily have an opinion on it. She's not currently in my predictions for supporting actress. I mean, once I see the film and hear more buzz about it, that may change. But I think there are so many other performances that people are excited about that I just, I don't see her getting in, even if she were to campaign lead, I don't see her getting in this year. Yeah, I think it's, I think there's too many strong contenders and just, just being the supportive wife in a handicap movie does not make you, yeah, Academy. I mean, stranger things have happened, though, so. Well, and that being said, I think if the film does connect with with critics, with uh, people in the Academy, and it gets things like production design and film editing and, and um, script and picture, she's most likely going to get a nomination in that case because that will show just strong support for the movie as a whole. But on her own, I don't think that she gets in. I mean, she is kind of the hot she's young thing. She's one that's on. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, no, Lauren. I was just going to say, she she is kind of the hot young thing right now, given the crown and everything. So it's yeah. it's perfectly possible that she gets in simply on the strength of that. Because she everybody knows her right now. It is possible. I just, I look at everything else that people are talking about, and I just, I don't know. I think that she's got a little bit more, of, I think there's enough uh, strong performances coming up this year that it's a challenge. So. Well, I think That's Claire all. Foy's time will be next year, because she's playing Ryan Gosling's wife in First Man, the Neil Armstrong movie, um, that Damien Chazelle is making. So oh. I think we probably won't see her this year, but if that movie does as well as Chazelle's last movie, then we probably will see her next year. So yeah, yeah she can get nominated for playing the supportive wife next year. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. One is just well, like the other. Didn't didn't the supportive wife win last it's, year? She wins every year. Um, <laughs> we, but we never see the supportive like. I always say it, it would be great to see, like, the supportive husband. And I don't mean supportive husband, like, the guy who's just, like, like, um, if anybody remembers when Joy came out, and, and it's fine if you don't remember Joy, because it's not a good movie, um, but, but the Edgar Ramirez character, like, who was just there as the supportive guy who did a really, I'm not saying that that should have been Academy Award nominated, but we often don't, we value the supportive wife, but we don't ever give, like, that consideration when it's a dude who's just, like, like Chris Pine in Wonder Woman. You know, like that's not being touted as, I'm not saying it should be, but we don't seem to regard, like, if it's a guy supporting a woman, like, eh, that's nothing special. Like, but when it's a woman supporting a man, like, oh my gosh, give her all the awards because it's so hard to be supportive. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's I, true. I love that you just mentioned <laughs> 
I love that you just mentioned Chris Pine because I was just thinking <laughs> of Steve Trevor at that exact same moment. Um, so let's get into uh, some movie reviews really quickly. Um, Battle of the Sexes came out wide uh, last weekend. We Three out of the four of us saw it. Um, what did we think of it? I saw it a couple weeks ago because my press screening was really early um i really enjoyed it i think it took a long time to get moving maybe because the way it's marked i think the marketing for this movie has been really piss poor um because it's promoting it as a, a steve carell movie or at least steve carell and emma stone's characters are getting equal screen time that's not necessarily the case this is emma stone's movie this is about billy jean king and and her dealing with being a lesbian and having her first romantic relationship with a woman and also being touted as this uh, feminist icon for tennis. It's not Steve Carell's movie at all. And I like that. I like that we didn't really have to focus on him because his character is so unlikable. This is a movie that I watched it and it, it made me sad because if it had played in a different government like that we're dealing with right now it would have been great because as you as you sell it to most people you know the story of a male chauvinist asshole who uses gimmicks to get what he wants um gets his ass beat by a strong feminist woman who everybody complains about how she looks sound familiar because it's what we were living um during the election i call it the election fairy tale that we didn't get um, so it did make me a little blue at the end. Um, if you know the ending, which, spoiler, most people should, I was a little melancholy. Um, but I liked it a lot. I, I, I enjoyed the dynamics of the, the female characters. I love that it spent such a long time talking about the Billie Jean King's attempts to get equal pay for the women. Bill Pullman plays a dick. So I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I think it took at least 40 minutes to get going. Um, I thought it was pleasant. And then once they actually got into setting up the battle of the sexes and, and doing all that, I was really invested. Kimberly, what did you think of it? I, Emma Stone, Emma Stone, Emma Stone. I thought she was absolutely incredible. And I def, I, it, to me, it was her movie. She carried it. Where I thought it suffered a bit was in the Corral character as well. And it was probably perhaps in the screening that I was in and people were just bursting out laughing at every other line he had. And to me it and to me it wasn't a laugh out loud comedy. So I didn't quite get what was going on with the exact audience. It felt like in his character he was doing Michael Scott, he was doing his typical Corral character. And I felt, at least in the screening that I watched, it hurt the message of the film a bit because it just overshadowed. I, other than that, I thought it was absolutely incredible. thought it looked great. Bill Pullman was an amazing dick. He's one of my favorites, and I thought he was a far better antagonist than Carell's character. I just, I thought something was, and I don't know if it was Carell or I, and I, or I don't know if it was Riggs. I, I would say something in that character bothered well, that's me. The, that's why I said I'm all, this would have been, it would be interesting to see how this plays had we not had our current president. <laughs> because watching the Steve Carell scenes, I was just like, I, we see this every day. You know, we see this kind of guy who calls, you know, girls honey and talks about how they dress. And, you know, um, I love how the movie plays with systemic sexism. You know, how, how all the guys call them honey or little. You know, it, 
1973, they were commenting on Billie Jean King's appearance while she's playing tennis. Have we come that far? I don't really know. Um, Karen, what do you think of the movie? Well, first of all, you do know, and the answer is no. We haven't. Well, well, I've I've tried to be optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I agree with what you guys are saying about Carell. His, um, I think that he did do a pretty good job of encapsulating um, Bobby Riggs, actually, from some interviews that I've seen with Riggs. But my problem was that I agree. It It's not very clear from the marketing. It seems like this is very much an even match. It's called Battle of the Sexes. They show a lot of her. They show a lot of him. You think it's really going to be a story about the two of them and this, you know, coming together. What I had a problem with was that I either wanted to see more of Bobby Riggs or less. I felt like there was, I felt like the balance was off because they showed a bunch of scenes with him. And from stuff that I had read before I saw the movie, they actually showed more about him and his home life than I expected. But the problem was that they never really dug into what he was getting out of it. Was he really, I mean, to me, as I'm watching, I'm thinking, okay, he's just in this for the fun of it, I guess. But at, you know, there's some things that happen toward the end where you start to think, okay, there is some emotional stuff that he's dealing with as well. And so it was just like, but I wish there had been more development of him to, to make that feel earned at the end. So I wanted either less of him where it's just really focused on Billie Jean or more of him so that it really was more of an even balance between the two. Yeah, I I would agree. It, And I think that that's, again, goes back to the marketing because the marketing really plays this up as a very straightforward, it's about the battle. And really, and I think that that's why that first 40 minutes to me felt so long was because it sets up Billie Jean King's plotline really well, you know, that she's married to this really nice guy. She wants to fight for, you know, equal pay. And then you cut to Bobby Riggs and it's just like he's a compulsive gambler. And he, his wife is really boring, and she's a nag who doesn't let him do anything. You know, it's just, it's not as compelling. I almost wish that Bobby Riggs hadn't been a character that we got to know, quote-unquote, and he was just a guy who was, like, talking through the TV, egging her on, um, you know, and the, we just yeah. followed her. Yeah, I, I, I think that would have been a good way to handle it, actually. Do we see any Oscar nods for this? I would say Stone seems like a foregone conclusion maybe script picture seems like a long shot but i mean i don't know what what else are we thinking uh, stone definitely i thought she absolutely transformed herself i was there was scenes especially in the tennis match where i was watching and i think they even have cosell's narration comment on it at some point just how she changed how she carried herself her movement it i was able to lose myself in her performance Carell not so much and that was kind of the balance where I waited I felt like I lost that I was watching Emma Stone and I felt like I was watching Billie Jean King Karen yeah I actually I do I have uh, Emma Stone in for best actress I I have to be careful at this point because it's still October and nothing is a lock not even Gary Oldman getting a nomination is really a lock so but I do think it's likely that she'll find herself in. Um, I also still have Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton in the Best Director category, and I do have it currently for Best Picture. So until I see some other films that come out 
that are stronger contenders. I'm going to stick by that because I think that this is a, a good film. I think it does fall just a tiny bit short of being great, but I, I think there are other emotional factors at work here that are really going to connect with people. And that's why I'm, I'm still saying that it's going to have some nominations coming its way. Okay, so we have one other listener question uh, before we close it out. This one comes from at C.A. Kempa. She asks, maybe not for, well, we're going to do it for this week. Uh, I'd like to hear you talk about best, most feminist films written and directed, or written, directed by men and how we feel about that. Now, most movies, as we were looking for feminist films, are written and or directed by men. That's just how they are. I have no issue if they're done with some type of sensitivity, but I don't know how, what's our criteria for how a feminist film differs if it's written in, written or directed by men versus if it's written or directed by women? Well, I, I think that there's often almost an assumption that if it's written and directed by a woman that it is feminist, which is not true, <laughs> necessarily. Uh, it, it does, I, you know, I, I, it, is, it does begin to beg the question of what is a feminist film to begin with is it something that is it a film that simply features women as main characters that they're the main driving forces in the film or is it something that is a little more nebulous that it has to be about what the plot is and the way that it deals with relationships between the genders um things like that so one of the things with female directors is that you it means that you get a female perspective on whatever the story is so yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i've seen many a bad film written or directed by men with female characters i i have many that i despise i've talked very openly on twitter about my hatred of sicario just because you swapped a male character for a female actress doesn't mean that that movie is progressive it's not it sucks yeah part of it is who is the audience it's true it's still a lot of times where there's a yeah there's a lot of times where there's a female lead but it's a movie that's really made for men so the woman is all sexed up or whatever yeah, you know it's, i mean it's to throw another movie out there with somebody that i like it's like watching sucker punch sucker punch is a really <laughs> bad movie that thinks it has its heart in the right place but it really doesn't um if you compare that film to wonder woman watch how the camera just takes in the female characters in both films um it feels different in wonder woman you know i should not be happy that wonder woman doesn't have any upskirt shots okay i shouldn't be happy but i am (laughs) so there's that let's throw out some examples of of some of our our favorite or best female driven films written or directed by men um i would say the big one is thelma and louise it's directed by ridley scott written by kali kahori so it's kind of both it's probably one of the ones that i i really enjoy mad max fury road is a good another good one yeah um, definitely and i have a soft spot for for like stupid stuff like mona lisa smile like i think that movie is r- really sweet even though um it's kind of a frivolous movie and even some of the classic films i mean stuff like the um the women you know those are good the women is the women really feminist though no i say it's not but it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's it's a fun movie but i mean it's a movie that's all about men it's a movie that's all about men and it's all about upper class women pissing on the working class girl yeah like that's why i hate it what about to throw out another classic series the thin man series oh the thin man's great the thin man is great i would say the first two 
Once Nora becomes Definitely. mommy, it she True. takes a Touché. she takes a back seat. But um, the first two little, Thin Mans yeah. are great. The first yeah, two Thin Mans are fantastic. A couple more recent examples that I enjoy, and feel free to argue with me, but I will stand by them. Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. I love both of those movies I would so throw much. The, I would throw the heat in there as well. Because I, yeah. I enjoy Yeah, the I think Paul Feig is doing great uh, things. So. You know, complete the Feig sort of uh, oof and say spy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yes. I always forget yes. all of those. I, I think spy. he's doing a really good job. And I think a big part of the reason is because he gets women involved in the process. He doesn't just, you know, do it all himself and then just have some great women in the cast. Yeah, and he I actually mean, has and, women co-writers and producers, and and Bridesmaids was written by um, uh, by Kristen Wiig and I forget the Annie Mumolo. Ma- Annie Mumolo, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, Feig, yeah, th- those were two of the films on my list. Also, I was going to say Nine to Five, yeah, yes. which mm-hmm. was directed by Colin Higgins and is kind of the one of the quintessential sort of feminist films from the 1980s. Um, a couple a couple others I would throw out, just because we're going back in time and we're talking about Bette Midler earlier. It's not Bette Midler, but it's Diane Keaton, Baby Boom. It's written oh, yeah. by Nancy Myers, co-written mm-hmm. by Nancy Myers, but directed by Charles Shire. One of the few backlash um, era films that I still enjoy, um, in spite of some sticky plot mechanics. And uh, one I just wrote about today, um, Company of Wolves, which is a, a Neil Jordan-directed horror movie, but Angela Carter wrote the script based uh, on her yeah. book. Um, it's a really, really great... If you're looking for, um, like, a dark, female-centric horror film that's not Stephen King-related, <laughs> Company of Wolves is really good. Uh, also, just about anything by Amodovar, uh, particularly in the 1980s, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown is... Mm-hmm. is I mean, he... I think the part of what we're talking about here is men male directors, male writers who take the time and the energy and the desire to really think about, listen to, and consider women as complete people. And yes. I, I, I can't think of another director, Feig maybe, and Feig's working in completely, you know, in, in his own way in a very different genre than Almodovar, but Almodovar really does believe in women as the most complex and interesting human beings. And all of his films, almost all of his films reflect that. And something like Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown or um, What Have I Done to Deserve This are just like, you know, What I've Done to Deserve This is basically about a battered woman, is a comedy about a battered woman who kills her husband, who learns how, learns how to be a, uh, learns Taekwondo and kills her husband with a leg of lamb. So it's also partially based on um, Lamb to the Slaughter, the Roald Dahl story. I also want to throw out, since, again, nostalgia, A Little Princess, the um, 90s adaptation, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, written by him as well. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And the other one that I thought of was An Unmarried Woman, the film with Jill Clayburg. I have to see that. I have to see that still. Oh, I love Jill Clayburgh. It's like 1973, 76, somewhere in there, but it's directed by Paul Mazurki. But it's it's the same thing. It's that viewing viewing women as people, which is apparently difficult <laughs> for so many male directors. But yeah, just being like, okay, we can actually look at the experience, a female experience, and see them as just as complex and interesting and unique as... As men. In the cute, sweet territory, I have to throw out Brooklyn as well. That just yes. popped into my head. Yeah. 
just that how they sketched out her character and I, I know I for one found just parts of that incredibly relatable and she was so well rounded and it was it that that movie just makes me happy that yeah that Brooklyn is great um well let's start to close it out we did get our first iTunes review I was very happy about um because iTunes reviews are very hard to come by, apparently. A lot of people don't do them. I have it handy, so I, I figured I'll read it um, for everybody. Uh, this came courtesy of Feathered. I don't know if that's just your username or if that describes your hair. I don't know. But they wrote, Tired of getting jolted out of the film podcast by casual misogyny or, just as bad, silence on major issues affecting women in and on film? Frustrated by the fact that so many general interest film podcasts seem to have a one-woman maximum rule, I am, this podcast arrived just in time. Right away, it seems like a necessary addition for a film and podcast devotee like me. Smart women, interesting conversation, vital perspectives, I am excited for more. <sighs> Thank you, Feathered. That made me very happy. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, but of course, you can leave us uh, more iTunes comments. We are on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher Radio and Player FM. You can also download the podcast directly at citizendame.podbean.com. Karen, where are we on social media? We are on Twitter at citizendamepod and facebook.com slash citizendame. So that's going to close it out. Uh, who knows what we'll be talking about next time, but we will be back uh, next week. So till then, bye. 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 Bye.